Welcome back to another episode of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. For today's episode, we are joined by January Walker, who is running for Congress in the 4th Congressional District of the state of Utah. January, thank you for coming on the show today. How are you doing? Hey, Desmond. I am absolutely amazing, and you're correct. I'm running for Congress in the 4th District. Uh, Today is an exciting day, mostly because it's one of our first really warm days of the summer. So I'm I'm looking forward to... uh, to seeing all the sunshine this summer brings. Yeah, absolutely. So January, thank you for coming on and talking with me today. We're going to do things a little bit differently here. Typically, when I have a candidate come on and we talk about issues, usually it's a straight up interview. Like I just I just lay up the questions and the candidates won't will just answer them. We're gonna try a little bit different of a style today as far as how we conduct this conversation. But first and foremost, I wanted to talk to you about, you know, healthcare. You know, one of the things that, you know, prior to the pandemic, was the number one issue for Americans all over the country. I mean, the whole 2018, I think midterm elections were basically were based on that. And then we just lived through a global pandemic. So obviously healthcare is something that is on the minds of people all over the all over the country, even more so than it already was. And so you are running on one of your platforms being reasonable healthcare pricing and prevention. Let me just start off by asking you, what exactly does that mean as far as how you're viewing policy? Yeah, absolutely. So um, first of all, I I think it's important to share how we built the platform um, and then how this underpins this specific issue right here. So I did a listening campaign through Utah where I talked with over a thousand individuals. And one of the items that was brought up the most was, hey, our healthcare is really, really expensive um, and we need to astronomically lower it. So when I did a little bit of research on this um, and ways that we could help, I found out an incredible amount of interesting things about the U.S. So when we look at uh, reasonable healthcare pricing and prevention, we, we recognize that we don't have enough doctors within the United States to support the amount of people that we have. And uh, basic economics, we know that there's supply and demand. And when you don't have enough supply, the demand goes higher which also increases your pricing. So uh, not only do we have one of the longest and most expensive medical education systems within the developed world, but we but it results in us having uh, the lowest number of physicians per capita. Right. So let me ask you another question about this, because whenever people who are on the left are having this conversation, you know, one of the first things that comes up is the fact that the for-profit medical system seems to be... It, incredibly more expensive here in this country than it is in other countries, particularly speaking with like drug prices. You know, we hear someone like Bernie Sanders all the time talking about how insulin is 10 times more expensive here in America than it is up in Canada, for instance. What are your thoughts on bringing down like the overall cost of healthcare in this country? Like how can we achieve that? Uh, So we've had initiatives as a nation where we say there needs to be transparency in pricing, but the problem is, is that we're not enforcing it. Uh, We absolutely can drive down those costs. I know that there are companies that are bringing transparency and driving down those costs and saying, hey, uh, we can can offer this to you as pennies on the dollar for for the same medication. So uh, when we 
bring forward transparency. So I'm all about transparency. When we bring forward transparency on the healthcare pricing side, when we bring forward transparency on how much insurance is, is charging, uh, it, it creates this space in which um, these communities can actually compete. But because they haven't competed in such a long time, they're very resistant to the idea. Yeah, and so I, I hear that, and I'm sure that they are resistant to it. I, I wonder, is do you think there's an appetite to more or less compel them to? Because as as we're seeing, like right now, you know, medical bankruptcies, for instance, they are the number one form of bankruptcy in America. I know when I talk to people about this issue, they very consistently say the same thing that our healthcare system is broken. Most people want, most people that I talk to, and again, I live in a very in a very left bubble. But most people I talk to want a universal healthcare system. I've seen that also paralleled in other like forms of exit polling. When I looked at the exit polling for the Super Tuesday states on twenty in twenty twenty, CNN asked every single state that like voted in that primary, you know, do you support a government ran universal healthcare? And even states like Texas and Alabama said more than fifty percent yes. Now, obviously, these were Democratic voters, but you know, I was seeing that the appetite for it was stronger than the media would lead us to believe that it is. What, what are your thoughts on universal health care? My, my thoughts are that I'm not opposed to having the conversation around universal health care. I think that it's a conversation that needs to be had. But I also think that there are some upstream items that even if we brought universal health care, it still wouldn't resolve how much the American people are really bleeding out when it comes to our actual health pricing. Uh, so we know that the way that uh, these companies, uh, I, there's, for lack of a better term, price gouge the American people to, to um, pad their bottom line and how they essentially use us um, to, to, to become uh, investment carriers for them, right? So, so instead of addressing the problem, uh, and just paying up to somebody that has insurance, they keep that money tied up in other ways. And so by eliminating these things, when we talk about programs um, like universal health coverage, I think that it makes it more plausible, but without, without addressing those items, I, I don't see um, bipartisan support for, for legislation like that. So I think where we attack it is, is further upstream and actually come up with solutions to, to drive those costs down first. You know, that's a, it's an interesting thing that you brought up when we were talking about this just now. And I know it doesn't pertain to you particularly because you would be going into the House of Representatives and it's slightly off topic here. But yeah. when it comes to bipartisan support, this is a this is a subject that I've been particularly fixated on for the last you know month and a half, maybe two months now. I've been doing a lot of talk myself about the filibuster and about how it's been, in my opinion, used as like a, a tool of obstruction by both parties over the course of the last decade uh, vigorously. Uh, most, you know, both parties, you know, claim that, you know, we need bipartisanship, but we also see very few instances of our parties working towards bipartisanship. Do you believe that people legit, like the average voter, do you think that people legitimately want bipartisanship or is it something that politicians just say as a, as a reason not to get things done? Uh, I, I think that that's a very interesting question. Um, the, the answer is, is that yes, people do want solutions. And I think that that's really what we're driving at is, can we come to the table with solutions 
uh, that, that allow us to solve these very real problems. But I also think that the longer that you don't have a solution, it allows you to have a talking point that, that manipulates people and um, allows these individuals to continue to cont continue to obtain power over us. And so that that's um, what we're seeing today. So yes, the people want it. I live in the most moderate, one of the most moderate states in the nation. We absolutely want it. Um, but as long as it's a, a tool used to manipulate us, it will be very difficult to grab that. Right. So I guess I want to just kind of like wrap up this portion of the conversation just on this. You were just talking about Utah being a very moderate state. I've heard you talk about that uh, prior as well. What exactly um, what exactly like uh, shows you that the state is as moderate as it is? Because from what all we see from like an outside perspective is that Utah is just a red state, you know, just conservative state, red state. Why do you believe that it's a more moderate state? Uh, great question here. So one, we, we have a lot of surveys that have gone out on this state. Gallup did a, a huge one across the nation. And with this, they showed that 41% uh, of the state was conservative and 40% is moderate, where 15% is Democrat or well, liberal in, in terms of the survey. And when, when you look at those numbers, right, when you have a 1% difference between conservatives and moderates, that is what raises our ranking. And even when I when I talk with my neighbors, uh, we we don't have uh, people that are as partisan as they may seem. Um, but from a from a level within Utah, um, it, we've had a supermajority for such a long time, and uh, the the people that are in the state have have held on to their power and have gerrymandered um, repeat, repetitively to to remove the voice of the majority of the people because they're so afraid of losing their power. And I've, I've seen this firsthand where we have real solutions uh, from candidates this election, candidates like myself and the partisan leaders, when we, when we talk to them, they just dismiss it. They say, well, all of that sounds nice, but because it didn't come from my team, we're not gonna do it. And then they push you down and, and, and say, well, we're not gonna do that because you chose not, literally, this is a, phrase that was told to me earlier this week, because you chose not to um, be a part of the major parties, we will not bring these ideas forward. Um, and they talked about playing the game. So <laughs> this is this is the world that we live in. And it really requires the people to step up and to step forward, but they've lost hope. Um, can I can I share one more point around some data as sure. well? Um, and I, it's probably too large of a file to, to bring up, but there's some interesting data specifically around Congressional District 4. So prior to this election, we were one of the most um, moderate. Actually, can I share my screen? Is that OK? Uh, well, the people who are listening in the audio version won't be able to hear it. OK, yeah. So, well, um, with that. The, the diagram that I was going to show you was an actual breakdown of our voters, where you could see between the the, demo, uh, the individuals that registered Democrat, Republican, um, independent, unaffiliated, we'll, we'll just call those like our purple um, voters, you could actually see a breakdown of them by age. And it was about um, 9, 11 years ago when, when we really started closing this gap between the two groups. and um, 
And then it was nine years ago that the younger voters started overtaking the Republican um, registrations as well. So within the younger generation, within millennials, within Generation Z, they are moderates, but they don't, they're disenfranchised because they aren't seeing candidates on the ticket that espouse their, their values. And I think that that's where we get into how much they vote. Like Gen Z, they're voting at about a 22%. Millennials is um, as old as 40 are only voting 50%. But if you look to our boomer population, they're 93 with Gen X voting about 72, 73. Okay. So those are definitely things that I've seen trends similar to that going, you know, across the nation. And we're going to talk more about that as well as talking about some more things, particularly about the state of Utah and guaranteed paid time off. And we're going to do all that when we come back from our break. Stay tuned. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage inspired clothing, shoes and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at Betty'sDivine.com. Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode. Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through this episode of Independent Thought. So January, wanted to switch gears a little bit. We were talking about healthcare in that last segment. Want to go over onto uh, guaranteed like paid time off now. This is a conversation that you know I, I hear more on the uh, on the Democratic side, on the on the liberal like left side, but not so much from people who are who are moderates, who are you know maybe conservatives, independents. Not really a conversation that we hear so much in that lens. So as someone who is running as a moderate, you know, like, why do you believe in guaranteed paid time off? And do you think that there's an appetite for more people who are kind of like running in the middle for wanting a policy like this to be implemented? Uh, yeah, I think it's so interesting that, that you mentioned that right now it's um, considered a, a democratic policy because when it was first introduced, it was a Republican driven policy because paid time off is good business when your people are 
refreshed and feeling happy and engaged, um, that, that is when you one get the most performance out of them. Uh, and you know, just from like a purely business lens, uh, when your people are well-rested, they, they, they do well at work. Um, but beyond that, also tying back to my listening campaign, um, when I talked with over a thousand people, uh, there was a common theme in saying, uh, we are exhausted. We are tired. I don't have the time to take care of my kids. I'm having to leave my job because I have to go take care of my kids or, uh, you know, from, from those that were in the older generations, they, they would say, I feel like I spent my whole life working. And I missed everything that was important to me at the end of the day. And so, so we see this um, decline in, in our health and in our mental health and in the amount that we can be stretched out uh, as individuals. And so bringing uh, concepts like paid time off to the forefront and saying, uh, as the United States goes, we have to be taking care of our citizens. And there's only a handful of countries that actually don't have paid time off in the entire world. And I think one of them is Pakistan. Uh, and then I, I forget the other ones off the top of my head, but amongst the, all the first world countries, we are the only one that doesn't have guaranteed paid time off. Even Japan that has a word for, uh, for working yourself to death because it's a thing that they do. Uh, even they have guaranteed 10, 10 days of PTO. So if we want to continue to be world leaders, we want to continue to see the health of our nation thrive, we have got to, to lean in and embrace some of these concepts. And it's more than just embracing it. Um, I encourage individuals that are listening in or tuning in to really think about the kind of world that they want to have in the future. Because the world that was given to us, that does not have to be uh, the world that we continue to perpetuate. So when you when you think about how you actually want to live, I want to live in a place where where I can go out and and have time to to create memories and know that I I not only contributed to society but I also got to experience life to the fullest. And that that is within our future. And so that's what people are really deciding right now. What kind of future do we want? And then also it's good for economy as well. Um, yeah, I've been thinking something similar to that for a long time. You know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me that we would want to drive the workforce into the ground, you know, and also, I mean, if, if people have more time off, they also have more time to consume. And if you exactly. are a capitalist and you say that you want to have, you know, capitalism be the, at the forefront of this nation, I mean, from what we know, 70% of our economy is, you know, consumer purchasing. So you would think you would want more time for consumers to consume, but you know, it, it's been mind boggling to me because, you know, again, I'm somebody who feels like I am more on the left here. And when I hear about this conversation time and time again, whenever policies like this get brought up, they always get attacked from the right as being socialism, right? It's just, it, it's socialism. That's a socialist policy. That's a radical policy, the radical left, you know, that these are things that we hear relentlessly whenever it comes to anything like this of a sort but i also see as you were mentioning countries across the ocean over you know over in europe and over in certain parts of asia who have implemented these policies and there are no cries whatsoever that they are harming their economies or that they are lowering production but you know again back here we can't even really seem to have this conversation whatsoever in fact when this was added into the build back better bill you know, it was, again, it was, it was told that it, it could, it couldn't be done. It shouldn't be done. 
So I guess particularly, you know, like when I, when you uh, talk to people, you know, in your state and in Utah, is there an appetite for something like this from like people who are on the ground? I think there's an appetite. Uh, I think that there's more questions around how it could be implemented. And I, I think that that's where we need to continue this conversation. Like if we, if we look at all the good things that it will bring, um, we, we also need to say, okay, what measures or what approach should we take to have the greatest amount of success possible in which it, this is um, not crushing anyone uh, because that's, that's a concern, right? Hey, this will hurt my business. And, and I, I honestly don't think that it has to hurt people's businesses because we look at countries like Germany, um, doesn't hurt their business, right? These, and, and we have the, many of the same companies that operate here as they do there. So if it's, if it hurts this, these companies here in the United States, but it doesn't hurt them in another country, then what is the argument that's happening there to me? It just doesn't make sense. And so, um, we, like I said, we just need to, to look towards what kind of future we want and take the steps to implement that future. So you are, you know, when I see, you know, like some of the things that you've put out on TikTok, on Twitter, you know, other things that I've, see, I've seen on social media, you are running as an independent, you know, running, you know, like you, I see that you always have like a purple on talking about wanting to represent the moderates. Is there a danger running as an independent in the state of Utah versus running as a Republican? Uh, that is a great question. So as, as far as independent goes, I, I want to take you guys through this really quick. I did leave the major uh, political parties and I was going to run as a independent specifically when um, a party called the United Utah Party picked me up. And it's a coalition from individuals all across the political spectrum. So you have Republicans, Democrats, uh, Libertarians. Um, I met somebody that said that they support the Green Party in the past and another individual that said they, they lean more towards the Constitution and unaffiliated. So it's this conglomerate of people that, that came together and said, we really need to put people over party politics. So um, when we say, you know, danger, there's, there's an appetite for it, but people just don't know us yet. And uh, when, when we look to Utah, we actually have some fascinating things happening in our political sphere where we have an independent that's taking on a very strong uh, Republican uh, incumbent. And he's kind of winning to the point where the Republican, instead of coming more towards the moderates, he's doubling down uh, on, on everything that, that he said before, um, which is a shame because his dad was such a great man. So, yeah. I have learned quite a bit in, that, in this episode, just particularly about what's going on in Utah. I'm always fascinated with learning what's going on in different states. And so I appreciate you taking the time to come on and tell us about, you know, some of the policies you're running on and what's the, kind of like the mood down there in the state of Utah right now. I'm wishing you the best of luck in your campaign and, you know, like running for the rest of the rest of the time here when you're going straight to the general election, correct? Yeah. So I've taken care of everything else. I am going to be on the general election ballot. Well, January, thank you for coming on to the podcast today. Uh, where can people like learn more about you and your campaign? Uh, the greatest place to learn about me and my campaign is to go onto my website. It's JanuaryForUtah.com. Uh, we have uh, Twitter, like you said, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok uh, is, is where I really try and connect with people and share out the message so that they're receiving more than just a candidate. And we have um, other interviews posted up on there. We, when this comes out, we will post your interview as well. 
Um, so get you some exposure that way. Very much appreciated. Thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Hope to have you back on in the future. Uh, for everyone who is interested, those links will be in the episode description. Thank you for checking out this episode of Independent Thought. If you liked it, please go ahead and share it online, on Twitter, on Instagram, tag Independent Thought. We will see you in the next episode.